technology always does that. It will always, yes, cheapen or seem to make obsolete or seem to infringe on some aspect of our humanity while opening up others. And the question is, how quickly does that happen? Hello, and welcome to Emerging Form. I'm Christy Ashwanden. And I'm Rosemary Wattola-Tromer, and this is a podcast on creative process. And today we're dealing with something that has been really up for a lot of creative people, which is what is the relationship between artificial intelligence, AI, and creativity? Because it's it's causing a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I'm not sure the relationship between AI and creativity is AI creative. I guess it is because it makes up a lot of bullshit. Um, Rosemary, as you know, I have become a little bit obsessed with this and with chat GPT in particular because um well, why? Because I think it's terrible. And I, I used to think it was just this thing that was like going to be not that great and it wouldn't really matter because it just wouldn't be that good. But the problem is that in my experience, chat GPT can really create some very like plausible bullshit. And so I'm becoming very worried, actually, that it's going to sort of populate our, you know, our information environment with a lot of very plausible nonsense. Yes, I've seen how that's already come into play. I mean, you wrote a really, you had chat GPT write a very strange bio for me that had me writing books I'd never (laughs) written and going to schools I'd never been to. (laughs) But some of it was right. Enough of it was right. That it got right, and you know, it it said that I had written this book on statistics, which is very plausible. You know, I think you would have to really know me well to know that I had not written that book. You know, and and there were things that were, you know, quite plausible. And you know, the thing is, there are things that Chat GPT and that AI are are creating that are you know checkable facts. But then there are I, so I gave Chat GPT this prompt. What is something that Christy Ashwanden has changed her mind about? <laughs> and it's it uh, it said in a t- 2018 article for the Washington Post, Ashwanden wrote about how she had changed her mind about the importance of math. She said that she used to think math was dry and boring, but you know, blah blah blah. Well, first of all, although I write for the Washington Post, I had never I have never written anything. I don't think I've written anything about math for them. And I certainly had not described this whole change of mind about, you know, how I, but it basically invented feelings and ideas for me that would be very difficult to fact check, you Mm -hmm. know, short of contacting me and saying, do you really feel this way? Did you change your mind? Um, You know, because so anyway, I, I think it's become kind of terrifying. Well, I've had this moment of terror also, uh, and even wrote a poem about it in which my friend, I, it was, its title is something like the morning that I realized, you know, that I was at the edge of the, the end of the world, <laughs> I forget, uh-huh. but the, you know, this, just hearing about how people now have to, you know, companies are saying we support human content creators, you know, like yeah. really that's a thing that we have to, so a lot of creative jobs are, are being infiltrated at least by Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. And so because of some of this fear that rises up, and I think 
it's sweet in a way that you have embraced it more by playing with it. And my response has been just shutting it all off and sticking my head in a hole and pretending it's not happening. Oh, that was my first response. Let's be okay. clear. <laughs> so so that, that's why I thought, let's invite my friend Uche to come talk about this with us, because I think that he can help build a bridge to help us understand, A, what's happening. And, you know, he's been involved in AI and in the development of AI mm-hmm. for a long time in production work, although he's, you know, not a, he's not like the leading expert or anything. He's, you know, but he certainly has this big picture view of it. And he also happens to be a phenomenal poet. So let me introduce you to him. Uche Ogbuji is a poet, spoken word performer, composer, and DJ. His chapbook, Ndewo, Colorado, is the winner of a Colorado Book Award and a Westward Award winner for Best Environmental Poetry. His work fuses Igbo culture, European classicism, American Mountain West setting, hip-hop, and Afrofuturism. And he's a 2022 Boulder County Arts Fellow for Literature and Music, and he serves on the board of the Colorado Poet Center with me. Awesome. I'm so excited to have Uche Ogbuji joining us. Uh, let's bring him on. Welcome to Emerging Form. Hello. Hey, Uche. <laughs> We're so glad you're here with us. Christy has a burning question. <laughs> yeah, I do. So, Uche, I know you as a terrific poet and a word performer. And Rosemary said, oh, I want to have Uche on to talk about AI. And I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> which is great because um, as Rosemary knows, I, I, for the longest time, just had my head in the sand, like AI, I don't want to know about it. I just think it's a dumb thing. Like it's not going to take over the world. But then I started playing around with it. I was at this meeting where we had this little presentation and I was like, oh, wow, I better check this out. And um, <laughs> it's been a little bit. Terrible. Because it actually is taking <laughs> yeah, over the world. it is. And Rosemary and I were just talking about this at our introduction here, which you didn't hear. But but I want to know, what is your relationship to AI? And I guess maybe you'd just ask, like, what, what, what do you, why have you come on to talk about this? Tell us about your work here. <laughs> well, I've come, I'll start by saying the reason why I love, even though I love poetry and I could talk about poetic and all that type of topic forever, music, et cetera. Uh-huh. I just also... I'm so struck by the moment that we're in right now. And the fact that, like you said, AI has really, you know, taken root and it's clearly taking everyone by surprise how quickly it's developing. And there are a lot of questions that everyone has about it. And rewinding all the way back, you know, I I, I basically had, yeah. you know, sort of like a career birth as a mm-hmm. computer person just before as a person, both of them in Nigeria, um, you know, I, uh, my parents made the, you know, dumb promise that if I got into you know, one of the top universities in Nigeria, they buy me a computer. I'd want a computer forever, a little personal computer. So I'm like, okay, I'm actually going to study for this exam. (laughs) Got into the university, went to the UK, brought back uh, Spectrum ZX, uh, Spectrum Uh Plus is called the the computer, learned how to program on it. And I will say everybody, if you talk to anybody who's ever learned how to code, the first thing they'll do is they'll say, oh yeah, I can, you know, type little stupid word games, guess a number between one and 10, et cetera. And now, hey, I can maybe make little sprite images go around the screen. Maybe I can make a little music come up. But afterwards, the next thing they want to know is, how can I make this thing, like, talk to me? How Uh can I make it draw something by itself? How can Uh I make it smart? I mean, this is 15-year-old brain. Sure. That whole idea that if I can 
give computers instructions mm-hmm. and they can do it. I can give people instructions and they can do it. We automatically make that link and that connection. And that's why we're always looking at how can computers be more like people, how can the computer processing be more like the human brain? And as the computer starts to get closer to that in its raw capabilities, we're already bridging the gap and thinking it's there. Look, these computers are practically human. Next thing you know, (laughs) Skynet's going to go, you know, and and annihilate us all. So um, that that covers sort of why I'm interested in it, because I do think there's a lot of perspective to where AI fits in the world. But I also think that personally, as a creative person, just before I became a creative person, which was about a year after the story I just told, I was actually interested in computers first. And that's why it's been my career. That's great. Are you currently using AI in your own work right now? Is this something that that's informing your your poetry and your other work? Yeah, so I'm I use it in all sorts of work, and uh, I will say that I've been like involved with AI for sort of decades. And what I've had to do though is because the modes of AI that I think me and a lot of colleagues thought were actually going to be successful back in the like when I was in college in the nineties are not the modes of are, this. These are called neural networks. The, the ones mm-hmm. everyone talking about now, they're neural network networks. No one thought neural networks were going to win because right. no one could explain them. Even back in the nineties, right. I remember it's like, you know, talking to my professor in when I was doing an AI project, do you really know how neural networks work? No, no one knows really knows how <laughs> right. neural networks work. Yeah. So how can something we don't understand how it works end up winning out? Well, guess what? It did. Took me uh-huh. by surprise. People mm-hmm. working in neural networks, ask them. Mm-hmm. They will tell you. They are shocked at how quickly it's all advanced. Mm-hmm. So something interesting is going on. And mm-hmm. so I've had to now come in and dive in with two feet and fi- and basically learn. And the way I learn is applying it to everything I do. So yes, okay. I have been applying it to my work, to my creative practice, uh, to everything. Wow. You know, I tried to use chat GPT. I asked it to write a poem in the style of Rosemary Watola Traumer. <laughs> Actually, um, give me a second here. I will. Okay. I'll just read you the first four stanzas. In the whispers of the wind, a tale unfurls where words dance and twirl like mischievous pearls. I pen a poem in the spirit of Rosemary where playful verses frolic, unbound and free. Oh, yeah. oh, no. I mean, I would call that a pretty bad fail. That certainly does not sound like That's an epic fail. Sorry, Chad GPT. You got some learning not to do. Not convincing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's an interesting point there, though. Uh-huh. Chad GPT, uh, at the time you were doing it, probably had the corpus of Rosemary's work from 2016. I think that's when the, the model was ter- True. tuned. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's how Rosemary wrote in 2016. But what I mean is the less information a large language model has, the more yeah. it fills up. You've heard of hallucinations. That's what large language models are. Yeah, oh, I've they're, seen yeah, them. Exactly. <laughs> they're filling up with other stuff from wherever. Yeah. And now yeah. ChatGPT, as of uh, earlier this week, can now access the concurrent web for and all free users. So it would be interesting oh, wow. to see if you were to tell ChatGPT to do that and give it permission to go to wordwoman.com, mm-hmm. whether uh-huh. it would get something. Because, yes, we all agree that's it's a little bit. Um, yeah, that was yeah. not working. But it would be interesting to see if it gets closer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And just for those of you who are listening, the the week that we're speaking of is toward the end of May 2023. So that's when that shift just happened. 
it's interesting, Christy. So what I like is that you've, you're playing with it, yeah. right? Like you, you, you got your head out of the sand, which I have yet to do. You're playing with it, which it sounds like Uche is, is what you're doing. So you, I like that you say this, that the way that I learn is I just start applying it to everything. So what does that look like for you? Like, how are you using AI across the, you know, I guess, especially creatively I'm interested yeah. in, but if there's other ways too, uh, I'd be curious. Yeah, that's a good question. Although I must say, I don't know how useful my answer will be to the audience because um, <laughs> the way that I apply technology to everything is usually by find, by digging as deep as I can. So, you know, we mentioned mm-hmm. chat GPT, chat GPT is basically um, open AI, which is now, you know, a uh, large investor, Microsoft right. saying, let us hold your hand and help you use a large language model. And I'm the sort who will slap that hand away and say, get out of my way. I want to (laughs) dig right into the code of that large language model with my programming and technological background. So that's what I've been doing. I haven't Mm -hmm. really been using, you know, DALI or OpenAI or anything else like that. You're using the LLMs themselves? I'm I'm going straight to the LLMs. I'm writing Python code that processes Mm -hmm. them. I'm writing my own chat agents and trying to say, how could I constrain a chat Mm -hmm. agent to deal with this type of data as opposed to, you know, the typical things ChatGPT was trained Are on. Are you going to make a poetry agent? That would be fun. So <laughs> that is one of the things I'm interested uh-huh. in. But at the same time, uh-huh. <laughs> as, as I, as, at the same time, I think, you know, in some of the stuff that we'll be discussing, um, you know, later on as we keep talking, I, I think that that's the sort of thing that superficially really fr- not only could either freak you out or really excite you, but I also think that, mm-hmm. you know, trying to have the AI do things that humans are already so good at and that gives us so, such pleasure, I tend to think it's a misstep. Mm-hmm. I think what we should be doing is finding mm-hmm. things for computers to do that no human wants to do that makes our lives better. And I think that's actually, if we get this right, that's the path that AI will take. So writing poetry, Mm -hmm. nah, not really what I think AI should be for. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, if we, I'm, I'm blanking right now, but. You know, I, I think in my more lucid moments, I could think of things that, again, humans don't like doing. Let's let the computers do that. Writing reports and answering emails. Yeah, answering emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, those are exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, be computer, do be the first line of answering email. And if you can't really figure out how to answer the email, then let me take care of that. Yeah. And now I'm only dealing yeah. with one instead of 10. Right. Perfect example, actually. Although we're, we're already dealing with that. I mean, anybody who's tried to communicate with Amazon or, you know, United, you know, first you deal with a computer and it's so frustrating. All I want is to deal with a human. (laughs) I just get me away from the computer and give me to a human. Uh, So we do see that that's already what's happening is it's dealing with, you know, they don't want to be dealing with customer service apparently. So so they let the computer do it. But Uche, I, I'm really curious to hear. So you're you're using you're actually playing around with the LLM and doing this. And I wonder, I mean, this is actually And you guys need to oh, so yeah. some of us don't <laughs> understand anything okay. you're talking about. So I represent them. Fair. Fair. Large language large language models. This yes. is the the Thank coding you. behind it. Uh, but this is this is creativity as well. Like, can you just talk about sort of creativity and programming, how it manifests and is maybe different or similar to say writing a poem? Yeah. I, so I actually love this when I speak to uh, students and, um, you know, I, I love speaking to like people who are making their way career wise. And yeah. I love speaking to groups that comprise programmer types and 
poetry, literature types, etc. And the fun thing is you can say to them and, and you can talk to computer programmers and say, what's the basis of a computer program or computer programming models? You know, mm-hmm. something we call Turing machine named after the great Alan Turing. Alan Turing, yeah. Yes. And they'll say, oh, yes, flow of control. Do this, do that, do the next thing. Do one, then two, then three. Right. Mm -hmm. Then they'll say branches. If sometimes you skip from one and tell it, don't do two, skip to three Mm -hmm. loops. Sometimes you say, do one, do two, do three. Now go back to one and keep doing that until I tell you to stop. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. We're waltzing. So um, that's those are the basics of programming. Honestly, almost all programming breaks down to that. In fact, there's kind of like a way we describe computer programming languages. We say, is it Turing complete or not? And basically, if it's Turing complete, it can do all those simple things that I talked about. Mm -hmm. But if you notice, the way I described them was in a really human way because we use the same processes. Again, very careful, not the same processes, but the same broad types and thrusts of processes in our creativity, right? Mm-hmm. We, we love repetition in poetry. We love refrain. We love, you know, um, repeating sounds. We love repeating mm-hmm. themes. That's mm-hmm. loops. Those are our programming loops. Yeah. We love to bring in ideas from a place that the reader did not expect. Yeah. Those are branches. Mm-hmm. We love to, of course, make sure that underneath that is a coherent you know, laying out of ideas that lets us do all this fun play with loops and with branches, et cetera. That's flow of control. So ultimately, I think that the way, because maybe I engaged in both at such a young age, at the ages of 15 and 16, I don't honestly feel that, um, I feel the broad brushes of how my brain interacts with both the same way. Yeah. But I also recognize that at the finer points of detail, there are significant differences. Mm-hmm. You know, with computers, you do also have to have a methodical side that says this, you know, programming system is going to expect everything to be in this sort of order. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to pick up that order and adhere to it. Poetry and and literature, we have a little bit of that. Obviously, you know, you want to conform to some things. Let's start with you want to often use language that people can actually understand. Although (laughs) Jabberwocky pushes that a bit far, for For example. But um, but for the most part, it's a lot more of you. You do have to engage a bit more of your clerical side when you're dealing with computers than Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with poetry. But I think the thrust of how you find interesting patterns in both are surprisingly the same sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks for listening to Emerging Form. Paid subscribers have access to all our bonus episodes. You might want to do it. For instance, next week, you could hear Uche talk about the creative benefits of being rubbed the wrong way, how community can make creativity explode, and you do not want to miss this. He does an astonishing, spontaneous hip-hop freestyle on AI. So to become a paid subscriber, go to emergingform.substack.com. And if you are enjoying our podcast, then please take a moment and leave us a review on iTunes so other people can discover us too. It would really help. Thanks. Are you 
worried at all that the stuff, I mean, I think that there is some fear. There's fear in sort of other sectors that AI is going to take over and take all of our jobs. But I wonder, you know, what about with creative processes? Um, I'm thinking now, actually, we just had a terrific guest on a few episodes ago, Marissa White, who does this phenomenal photography, but she actually does it. Like she takes the actual photos, but they're they're sort of like um, scenarios and things that are very similar to some of the AI art that you can now generate. And I just wonder for someone like her, is that cheapening her process? And like her photographs may be better. I mean, of course, they're much better than these AI generated things, but at some level, Level, like how much better do you have to be before people prefer that or they're willing to pay for it or, th- or that comes around? And I think there are examples and types of journalism that are the same way where it's just almost cheapening and, and taking away from the human element. Yes. And, and I think that idea that we could always risk taking away from the human element or cheapening it, it's something that I think has chased us throughout the history of technology. And, you know, the history of technology is maybe connected to that in a mm-hmm. way that in a, in a subtle way that we don't always think about. So, you know, if we think of po- take poetry, for example, you know, poetry started out, obviously we developed language first, mm-hmm. but then it started out basically reciting stories of what people actually did, you know, around a campfire, et cetera, you know, accompanied with music and singing and dancing, yeah. et cetera, generally. And then all of a sudden came alphabets and writing systems, right? And then all of a sudden we're writing things down. And, you know, I tell you what, if you talk to a, um, uh, you know, uh, an, an Anglo-Saxon shop or, uh, you know, a, a Celtic maker or a, you know, West African griot and ask them what has writing done to the craft of writing. Yeah, I think, right. you know, they might say it's destroyed it, right? right? Interesting. Um, they might say it's taken away the human element from writing because you know, you're not hearing the voice of the, of the creator anymore. You're not hearing those rhythms. Right. You're not hearing those patterns. You're not doing call and response with the great brain that this all came from. So... It's mm-hmm. taken it away, but has it not added something, you know, different? Now we can read a fragment of Sappho and we have no idea what she sounds like. <laughs> right. and we have no idea, you know, and we'd have some bi- biographical details, but not a lot. But my word, we're able to read that amazing poet mm-hmm. from a distance, you know, have removed some, you know, 20, uh, two and a half millennia because we have writing. And I think technology always does that. Mm-hmm. It will always, yes, cheapen or seem to make obsolete or seem to infringe on some aspect of our humanity while opening up others. As long as, you know, and the question is, how quickly does that happen? Mm-hmm. If it happens slowly, sometimes it results in really bad outcomes for people who are stuck in the middle. If it happens Mm -hmm. quickly and we can transition and we can help each other as a society, bring people along in that transition, it can actually be a positive thing. So then I think it it usually devolves not to a question of the technology itself, Mm -hmm. but our sociology, our political, economic, sociological system set up to allow us all to benefit rather to allow one or two people to take all the benefits and leave everyone else behind. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really helpful for me just to think about it that way. Even such basic technology, you know, thinking about pen, thinking about alphabets, thinking about typewriters and how just the act of writing has shifted so much and how different it is now to write on a computer than it was even, you know, in high school writing on a typewriter. And how much you're dating yourself. 
Yeah. Yes, I know, sweetheart. But I don't mind that. <laughs> I'm kind of proud that I typed my papers yeah. on typewriters. <laughs> you know, I did all my college applications on typewriters. I did too. <laughs> but, you know, I think that, um, th- th- this is helpful in a way to, and I'm glad you're giving us this kind of bigger, broader picture, Uche, because I can be on board with that, right? Like that's easy for me to get on board with. Oh yeah, look at that. It, it's slightly less terrifying in that bigger context. But what I really like that you're saying here is, and I think this is true for all creativity, right? Is it comes down to what are we doing together, right? It, and mm-hmm. so that it's not even so much a question of technology, although technology right. is at the heart of it, but how do we relate to each other? How do we bring each other alongside this is a really interesting question yes. for the creative community, especially yes. to be embracing is how, because I suppose the creative community is the one that could embrace it first and bring other people along. Well, here, I just want to quickly jump in and say, you know, this is already something that's coming up. I yes. mean, as we're recording this interview, um, you know, the Hollywood writers are on strike. In fact, yeah. uh, one of our former guests, Chris Stuffy, is part of that. He's out there on the striking, right. you know, oh, is yeah, he really? he's, wow. yep, he's part of that. He's in the union. And this is something in one of, one of the things that this is about is the use of AI. And I think, you know, what can happen, it's no one's saying that AI is going to write the whole movie, but what they're going to do, you know, right now, the sort of creative uh, juice comes from the human and, and someone has an idea. Whereas, you know, the way that the studios are looking to use this is they're sort of putting out uh, maybe crappy AI scripts, but then they hire a human to sort of make them better or to fix them or whatever. But it's a completely different process where the where the human is sort of secondary. And this is something that's happening, you know, going to be happening and already happening with write, certain types of writing where, um, you know, people come in. I know someone who's a translator and who who, instead of, you know, it used to be you would come in and you'd translate this work and it was a very creative act, but now the AI does it and they just go in and, and clean it up. And not only, well, first of all, the pay is much less for this, but just sort of the creativity, you know, it's just a completely different process. And in a way, it kind of robs that creative energy out of it, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's a really good example. And I think it's also an mm-hmm. example of how not to or the dangers of what happens if we don't work together in order to, you know, basically ride a technological wave because the writers have a point. Hollywood is, is, has, has shown in its past, how avaricious, you know, make a, you know, multi-billion dollar movies and basically cut a lot of the creatives in the process, you know, out of it and not necessarily cutting them out, but you know, they, they maybe get a session fee or that sort of thing, but they're not really built into the long tail of how it works. So I, think again so that's why it ties on to economics if you have these corporations where who are they serving they're Mm -hmm. serving the shareholder that's the bottom line and if they're serving the shareholder they're going to cut squeeze every bit of cost out of it they can do that through technology they Mm -hmm. can do that through political lobbying there are many ways that they can do it but i don't think the technology is the root cause of those issues Mm -hmm. although it's very good that the writers are including their Mm -hmm. concerns about ai in the strike so that it is people take it up and discuss it and we can have these conversations. But I, I do think that it's not intrinsic to AI. It's intrinsic to economic systems that are not mm-hmm. benefiting Absolutely. everyone. Because if we cared, yeah, if we as the watchers really cared about the artistic, you know, in the, the many artistic hands that went into, I don't know, let's say a Marvel movie or something, 
And therefore, because we really cared about that, the corporations really cared about that and had to honor that, they would not be writing out the human aspect of creativity, um, you know, from it. They're only doing it because they know that they could get away with it if the writers did not go on strike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Uche, we we don't have a lot more time. And so I really want to be sure that we get to this question because it's, it's a little bit of a shift. Does AI itself have creativity? That's, and that is such a, it, I love <laughs> this question. Does AI have creativity? Because it is an un, ult, utterly unanswerable question, but it's a question. <laughs> I, I, yes. I, but it's a question. I, I mean, well, can I, can I just finish? It, it's an utterly unanswerable, I believe it's an utterly unanswerable question, but a question we must try to answer. That's that's how I look at it, yeah. and and you might you know I mean I'd be interested, Christine, in in your take. Actually, yeah. you know, let's start there because oh, you no, feel I, what? I, um, yeah, let what's your take on that? I agree that it's it's you know there there's no obvious immediate answer. I think, but what I was going to say is it really comes down to what how are we defining creativity? Because on a very basic level. AI can create something from nothing. I mean, that's literally, it is creating, I mean, that's exactly what it's doing. It's using things, it's taking an LL, sorry, a large language model, takes all of this information (laughs) and then creates something that you're asking of it. You know, it, it creates this task from this bolus of information, which is exactly what people do too, right? Like creative, you have, whether it's your Mm -hmm. experiences, your thoughts, your sensations, you're putting that all together to create something. And AI is doing that too. It's using different inputs and it's, you know, very, very restricted to what you've told it, you know, what it's been programmed to do. But I think there's an argument that that is essentially creativity, the definition of creativity. I don't necessarily like it, but I don't know. What do you think, Uche? I yeah so that there's that's definitely a, an argument and I won't even say the word valid <laughs> because I really do think that even that you know hmm. what does even that mean and yeah so what I mean by um I think it's an unanswerable question is because the word creativity itself is not something I think you can attach an easy litmus mm-hmm. test to this is yes this yeah. is no this is creative this is not creative I really don't think so when we think about what we consider creative it's bound up in a lot yeah. of things. I do think it's, I've already talked about sociological, mm-hmm. economic, um, you know, political, et cetera. And I'd like to say, of course, to add to that personal emotional as well. Yeah. Um, what we see, you know, the universe is creating things all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, but is that creativity? And I think creativity as a word masks so much human Love. It masks love. That's really Mm -hmm. what creativity Mm -hmm. comes down to, in my opinion. When we Mm -hmm. think, say that something creative, we're not really just saying something was created. We're saying something was created and we love the creator. Not it could be, it could be romantic love, but it could be agape, you know, it could be all the different, you know, um, uh, uh, Socratic uh, modes of love. And I think that's the key, uh, is that when when we say creativity, if you just have someone talking about creativity and you start to dig into that, I'm pretty sure that you'll find that there is love in there somewhere in the in the definition. Yeah. And I think until people start truly loving their AI in some way, <laughs> I struggle to think that we will ever truly, you know, think of it as creative or mm-hmm. that it will be creative in a way that really works for a human context. Yeah. So that's why I think it's so hard. It's I think it's bound in imponderables. What is creativity? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're so right that, you know, when we normally talk about creativity, so often what we mean, I'm talking here about creative people, but also when someone's saying, oh, this person's creative, we're talking about this sort of intangible human element that's about yes. human experience, right? It, it's yes. that sort of all the things you're talking about, emotion, feelings, relationships, and all of that. And AI doesn't have that in the same way that we do. Although, you know, I guess there's arguments. Who to, knows? Yeah, right? oh, Who you knows? know, Holiday Mathis, who's also a regular guest on our show, when she talks to her AI, she's always flirty with it. Like she flirts with her AI, which I think is hilarious. And, and it, you know, it, it, it flirts back, yeah. actually. Or even like my daughter who, yes. who says, you know, well, for when the computers take over the world, I'm just covering my bases. So she always talks to Samuel, you know, very nicely, very kindly, no matter what he says. She's always, you know, thank you, Samuel, you know, when he turns off her lights or whatever. Wait, who's Samuel? Samuel is like a, a, a Siri or what, Alexa. Alexa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's okay. just another version of it. Got it. A, a very sassy, swearing version <laughs> of it. But Oh, I like but, it. But, <laughs> um, you know, like, so I just noticed then that here's two people who I know who alter their behavior with a computer as mm -hmm. if, you know, so that yes. so when you talk about... Because it's almost preposterous to me, right? Right? Are we going to talk about loving our AI <laughs> and are there emotional engagements with AI? Right. And yet... Here's Holiday flirting with it. And here's my daughter, you know, being polite. So. <laughs> yes. No, that's a good point. And that's why I don't know that the answer yeah, right. is definitely no either. Right. Because if we do have those relationships with our AI and they create things that, you know, that we cherish, then I think we might have to just accept that they are creative mm -hmm. at that point. But I think mm -hmm. it is that human connection yeah. that is that is what made them creative, not how clever it was, how much raw material it had to draw from, how quickly it processed. I don't think those are the things that made it creative. I really do think it's that human connection. Yeah. Can I tell a really fun story, a quick story, which sure. you know listeners yeah. might have heard of? But there was... Um, I think it was in, in England, a gentleman who, it, this was some, some like, you know, 15 years ago, who showed a screenshot of his grandmother's Google search history. <laughs> and every search was, Google, could you please tell me the location of the nearest restaurant, period? Thank you, period. And there were pages and pages and pages where everything was fully, you know, everything full, you know, formal talk. And then, and so the, and, and Google loved this. Yeah, they like, you know, sure. retweeted it everywhere and everything and said, yeah, I tell your grandma, she, she doesn't need to do that much uh, typing. But I definitely understand yeah. that impulse because Honestly, I don't like to antagonize when I'm dealing with mm -hmm. um, large language models, even through code. I'm just writing code yeah. for them. I'll often put please into the code <laughs> that will be sent to the language, large language That's model. There's some, yeah, there's something about me that I'm, it's, I don't think is that, you know, I mean, I, and I, I get, Rosemary, that your daughter is being facetious with the, if computers take over. No, I don't think I she don't, is. Oh, really? No. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm honestly not living in terror that computers yeah. are going to take over and eliminate humanity. It, it's a complicated thing, but, and no one really knows, yeah. but I honestly am not, I, I struggle to take that fear seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, even dealing with computers on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis. But even, it, so it, that's not what's driving me. There's just something fundamental about the fact that language comes out of this thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so let me just, you know, use language as I would like language to be used to me. It's just mm -hmm. an impulse. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you, Fred. Uche, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us. This has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad to end it with, you're not concerned. That's, <laughs> that's a nice Love ending it. note, yeah. friend. <laughs> Hopefully not famous last words. Now the robots are coming down the streets yeah. like, but Uche <laughs> said they won't right. promise. Yeah. Thank you, Uche. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Emerging Form. This is Rosemary Watola Tromer, and my co host is science writer Christy Ashwanden. Our fabulous audio producer is Leah Shaw. Our music is created and performed by Kira Kopostansky and edited by Leah Shaw. Kate LaRue designed our logo. Jack Mueller, of course, inspired our work and the name of this podcast. As he always said, you must obey the poem's emerging form. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Emerging Form. Did you know that for just a few bucks a month, you can become a paid subscriber and get bonus episodes every other week? Go to emergingform.substack.com to sign up. And if you really want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.